grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Greeting to you, brothers and sisters. Last week, Han Ming introduced our, our sermon series, The Journey Home. Uh, we have intentionally been focusing on Christ. We did that for three weeks. Who is the Christ? And he is the prophet, the priest, and the king. And really, that series really flows into this one. And then we have two more here focused on Christ. Uh, and as we go through this, we'll focus on what it is that Christ gives in particular to his people to get them home. Okay, but first we're having five dedicated sermons just to look at Christ because he is how we get home. <laughs> and looking at him is how we get home. He takes up the whole of our journey and everything is about being connected to, to him. So that's where we've been. Last week we looked at the humiliation of Christ from Isaiah. We've actually been in the Old Testament for a majority of our time. And again, today we will be back to Isaiah, the end here, Isaiah 53, verse, verse 10 to 12. So if you would, uh, turn in your Bibles there. We have it on the screen as well, maybe a little small today, but um, good for you to have your Bibles. Not sure if this slide will be up the whole time. So good for you to be able to see the whole context. Ideally, if you have a physical copy, that would be good. All right, let's be attentive because this is God's word. Now, we're beginning with uh, midway through chapter, uh, excuse me, verse uh, 10. We'll start midway through. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he, has, he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many, and makes intercession for the transgressors. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Church, do you recognize the exalted Jesus now? Do you recognize him? Last week, we considered how he is gentle and lowly. Yes. But do you know how awesome he is? Do you know how high, how glorious, how effective, how powerful the Lord Jesus Christ is? Now, we are prone to see that he is distant. We're prone to see that God is far away, far removed from my, from my everyday troubles and my problems. Well, I hope last week you learned that that is not the case, that the Lord Jesus suffering the worst of the worst 
that anyone could experience on this earth. He understands us. He knows us. Now, on the other side, we can imagine Jesus to be near to us, but lacking the strength, lacking the ability to help. We would never say this, of course. We would never say this out loud, but in the midst of our weariness of raising children, of, of going to work week after week, of experiencing all the pains of this cursed world and our own sin and other people's sin, we can begin to wonder, does he care about my problems? Is he going to do anything about the mess that I'm in? What assurance do I have that he's actually going to take away my suffering? Often we're just plain tired and we can't see how God is going to do anything for us. I remember in 2011, we moved from Malaysia to Charlotte, North Carolina, a very uh, wealthy city. And uh, the seminary is right in the middle of of tons of neighborhoods of mansions and wealth. And there I was a very, very poor seminary student. So I had to, had to find the, basically the, the most impoverished area <laughs> and find a little place to live with all the, you know, maybe what would be considered migrant workers uh, <laughs> um, here in Malaysia. Um, and, and there we were. And, and I was a little concerned, how are we going to make it? How am I going to be able to pay my bills? I have a family and I'm, and I'm here. Um, and what was amazing is I moved into that city. We moved into our house. And uh, lo and behold, there was a family from our church that we had just started going to. They said, hey, we have furniture we would love to give you for your house. Uh, it was an incredible blessing. Uh, I remember the day I going to pick up that furniture with my friend. My friend's telling me about this couple, and he says, yeah, you know what? They're millionaires. <laughs> uh, I was quite surprised by that. And uh, he said, you know, I used to hate rich people. I used to judge rich people. I used to look down on them until I met this couple. This couple has devoted their whole life to serve the poor. Their whole life is one of sacrifice. They've actually taken these high positions for the good of other people. The wife was a politician. They were serving the people. They were serving poor seminary students like myself. And let me tell you, it was an incredible comfort having this dear family around. Now, there are many millionaires who are very powerful, and yet they're not very generous. They're not very kind. They're not with the lowly. Uh, on the other side, there are many people who are, who are lowly, who are gentle, who are maybe even you know, somewhat generous, but the reality is they don't have the resources. They don't have the ability actually to help us in our time of need. And what we see about the Lord Jesus Christ is he has both. He is gentle and lowly, generous, and yet he is powerful. He is exalted. He has everything we need. And guess what, friends? He is going to get a promotion as he would come on this earth and be humiliated, he would get a promotion. 
And yet he would pursue this promotion. He would receive this exaltation, not for himself, but for you and I. Now, again, this can be hard to believe on on many days when we feel like we're too weak, too poor, too helpless. We have too little strength. And yet today we are to be given hope. In those moments of despair, in those moments when we don't feel like we're growing as a Christian, when we don't feel like we're going to be able to finish this Christian life even perhaps, or when we don't see how God is going to meet all of our particular needs in our day-to-day life, we need to remember this. What hope do we have in those moments? Our hope is this, is that Christ was exalted for you. He was given a promotion for you. In our passage in particular, we see two ways that highlight this, is that Christ is entering into a renewed life for you. Secondly, he's entering into a representative life for you. The main point, Christ was, has been lifted up in order that you too might be lifted up. So first, let's, let's dig in and see what the scriptures have to teach us. First, he entered into a renewed life. Now, Isaiah has a lot to say about this idea of exaltation. The very beginning of the book, he says, there's plenty of people out there who exalt themselves, who are very eager for a promotion in life, so they, they promote themselves. Well, what's going to happen to those people? Well, Isaiah 2, 11 to 12, the eyes of the arrogant will be humbled and human pride brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted, and they will be humbled. All the power, all the strength, all the resources in the world that you could have, and if it is for your own exaltation, God will bring these individuals down. The Lord alone is exalted. So then as a reminder from last week, Isaiah 52 showed us that there's going to be a servant who's going to come. He's going to enter into the world and he's going to meet and love and rescue those who are lowly, be near to those who are lowly. But we also saw that this servant who will be humiliated will also be exalted. If you want to look at it, verse 13 of 52. But it's not surprising that this exalted servant will be God himself because it is God alone who is exalted and deserves all glory and honor. He, in fact, is the one that we have longed for. Think of Isaiah 33, 5 and 6. The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. Listen to this. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness, and he will be the stability of your times, abundance of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. So you have the backdrop of this passage of God's people being filled with arrogance, the nations filled with, with arrogance and God is going to humble them 
And in particular, he's going to fill the longings of his people. He's going to enter into the details of the problems because he has the resources. He's going to come and bring justice, righteousness, stability, salvation, wisdom, knowledge. Where is it going to come from? From himself. From himself. So then now as we come to our passage, we see... First, this suffering servant, he must suffer before glory. We had seen previously last week that he was going to deal with the guilt of sin, and it's explicitly mentioned again, the beginning of verse 10, or I should say the middle of verse 10. Notice this, there is this offering for guilt. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, that is the servant. He is going to offer up his own life. The high priest who makes the offering, interestingly enough, in this case, he is the offering. It's implied here that he dies. The whole section, right, is that he's been pierced. And even the verse 9 They made his grave with the wicked. So interestingly enough, it's clear that this servant will die, and yet a great paradox is here is that this dead one will see. Continuing on, the next passage, the next line, he shall see his offspring and prolong his days. So here is implied a a resurrection that there's going to be fruit that's going to come from his death. There's going to be fruit that's going to come from his labor, and he is going to enter into this renewed life. Now, we've learned through the whole of this passage that the sacrifice was for us, that we actually receive his peace. We actually receive his life, and so too here, we are going to receive the benefits from this objective fruit that comes forth, namely a harvest of righteous ones. He's called the righteous one here. He's going to bring about renewed ones. He's going to bring about a spiritual offspring. Now, earlier on in the passage, God's people were described as strayed sheep. Now, being described as his very own children. It's already implying that we've experienced a change of status. Again, we look at the context, we'll be able to get more out of this. Chapter 1, you want to survey a little bit about offspring. Well, this is how Israel is described, offspring of evildoers. Children who deal corruptly, they have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. This is our condition, like children who have shamefully left their parents' watch care. They've left the provisions and resources of their generous parents Yet again and again throughout this book, hope is emerging, and we come to the very end of the book, towards the very end, chapter 65, 
we hear this. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. So not only is there going to be a renewal of the earth, but there's going to be a renewal of his offspring. Then verse 23 of this passage of 65 says, they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord. So what does this mean that the Messiah's days will be prolonged? Well, it means that he is going to see his offspring. He is going to see his children, the fruit of his labor. He's going to see that they are blessed, blessed from him. Can you imagine a better heritage than this? Children who are from our great Savior. This is the spiritual legacy that is given to his church. Now then, notice the end of verse 10. All that Christ will experience and did, it was to accomplish the will of the Lord. It's actually the beginning of verse, verse 10 begins with focusing on the will of the Lord. And the end of verse 10 focuses on Christ fulfilling the plan, the purposes of God. He is prospering the will of God. He is living out the design of God. He's implementing the plan. Now, children, it's rather wonderful when you implement your parents' plans for you. Some of them have been saving from before you were born, and one day you will have an opportunity to perhaps go to university, and that will be you walking, living out the very plans, the very designs that your parents had laid out for you. How much more glorious and awesome is Jesus himself coming to fulfill the plans of the Father? And by the completion of his work, he is going to receive a glorious reward. And that reward is what I'm calling a renewed life. Look at verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. So notice this, it's through agonizing suffering that he enters into this new state of satisfaction. Suffering, and then comes glory. Well, as we come to the New Testament, as we come to Jesus, we're not surprised to hear him talk about this. We're not surprised that the apostles are going to talk about this theme over and over again. Listen to Luke 24, 26. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? He does the work, and then he enjoys the fruit of that work. He eats the meal, children, and then he has dessert. Desserts, desserts after, okay? And so too sets the pattern. For all who are in Christ, we learn that a servant is not greater than his master, so the Christian should not expect desert his whole life. No, it will be suffering to glory. But let's keep focus on Christ, not to us just yet. 
Philippians chapter 2 that we read earlier, right? Remember, this is a great summary of this sermon series, humiliation to exaltation. He takes the form of a servant. He empties himself, not of his godness, by the way, yet his glory is going to be veiled or hidden, and he takes on the form of a servant. And the point is this, that because he was obedient to death, therefore he was exalted. And in that exaltation, he was satisfied. He was satisfied because the mission is complete. He, as the second Adam, obeyed. He did what you and I were supposed to do, and that is to live righteously before God. He did it. He did it. Now we get a hint of why he's satisfied even more clearly in our text. Second half of verse 11. The righteous one, my servant. Again, there it is. The righteous one. The one who fulfills the law, my servant. The one who was obedient even to death. He is going to make many to be accounted righteous or justified. Makes us think of verses like Romans 4.25, which makes this clear. He was raised for our justification. Christ's righteousness is proven through his resurrection, is proven through Christ being exalted. He was exalted to make us right. Now, what does all this what does all this mean? You say, okay, that's rather nice, Micah. I, I want you to see this. He's entering into this renewed state for you. Mira, he's entering into this glorious state because he wants you to be with him. Jessica, Evangeline. All that Jesus is doing, not just to come to earth, but he is lifted from the earth and exalted and honored by God the Father, raised from the dead, all so that you and I can be with him in the happiest place. Do you get that, children? He is entering into that state of satisfaction, and the very reason why he's doing that is for you and I. Now, it's not explicitly yet in the text, but here Jesus, as he's preparing the disciples for his exaltation, for his promotion, he says this, I will go to prepare a place for you. Why? in order to bring you to myself. So Jesus arose from the grave. He ascended to the Father to bring you there with him. Now, um, these can be depressing days. On many days, that can feel like a very distant reality. Talking to a believer from another church even this week, and they were feeling overwhelmed by their sense of failure in the Christian life. Just feeling like they can't shake their sins and feeling a loss of hope. 
maybe this is you, but today we need to meditate on this passage. We need to meditate on what is happening to Christ and what he is doing, and soon we'll very see why, but it is very clear when we begin to connect the pieces with the New Testament that he entered into this state for you and I to bring us out of this mess. All of it. Every single misery that you experience, guess what? It is Jesus' plan to bring you out of every single ounce of pain in your life. He paid the penalty for our sin. And here he is receiving the reward. The reward which should have been his, but it's ours, right? It's already been mentioned through this text. We receive peace through his bearing of the cross. We receive healing. And these in the ultimate sense. In the final sense, eternally, we are going to enjoy peace and complete healing eternally, forever. And no one will be able to take it away from us. Nothing is going to ruin that good day, right? We have many good days that quickly get ruined. It's not going to happen when we enter into that satisfaction that Christ has prepared for us. Now, end of verse 11. We are credited as righteous as he is. What rightfully belongs to him, again and again throughout this whole chapter, is given to us. And we can understand this passage when we we get to the New Testament, John 14 to 16. Jesus is, is preparing them for this exaltation. And he knows that children don't do well when their parents leave. So he just goes on and on for his longest teaching to assure them again and again and again that he's going away, that he's being exalted for them and for their good. His absence is actually going to be glorious for them. I love the Malaysian context of preparing for marriage. I love to see the amount of dedication that goes into marriage. Years and years being invested. In in some ways, uh, there's, there's an intentional longer season of absence in order that you can have the funds ready to actually buy a house. How amazing is that? Right? There may be some pain of waiting and waiting and waiting, and yet it's for a purpose. So too, kids, children, your parents, they often need to go away from you, but you need to understand that very often you are in their mind as they go to work. They're going to work for you and for your long-lasting benefit. So too, the Lord Jesus assures us that though he's being exalted, though Jesus is going away, he enters into that renewed state 
for his children. Now, this point, I believe, is going to be even further clarified uh, with the next point. Uh, He enters into a representative life for you, verse 12. Not only representing you in life and death, that's been the focus, representing you on the cross, but also in this new glorified state. Look at verse 12. very clear the the war has been won this is war language this would have been very normal as the jews would be reading this maybe a little strange in our context we don't think about war a ton but there is a reward going to be shared look at verse 12 with me therefore i will divide him a portion with the many and he shall divide the spoil with the strong So God, the Father, gives the rewards received from the enemy to the servant and the other victors with him. And it is the servant who's going to further dispense among the many, among the strong, victorious people, the blessings, the reward for this win. Not surprisingly, his people are described as more than conquerors. The whole of the book of the Revelation is, we're described as conquerors, as conquerors. But I asked the question, what could these spools of war be? Uh, and uh, I'm going to venture here to say that I believe that the centerpiece of the spools of war that we're talking about here is the Holy Spirit. Uh, take this from Acts 2.33. It says this, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So the connection is between the exaltation of Christ, the Father sending the Spirit as a gift upon His people. You also have this idea hinted at in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, Verse 8, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. The context is, is that is of talking about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit that are going to be poured out in his church, and particularly the gifts of leadership, apostles, prophets, and so on, that are going to be given in order to build up the church. Now, more on the Holy Spirit later, but however we understand this reward, it's very clear that these are the benefits of our salvation and that we, his people, are going to be completely taken care of. He's won the victory, and now we have all the resources we need at our disposal in order to finish this race, in order to get us home. It was his good pleasure to give us the kingdom, is what Jesus says, This would certainly include our daily bread and much, much more. But again, our text shows why these rewards will be given. Look at middle of verse 12. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Again and again and again. It is important that you know he represents his people in his death. He dies, the death of a criminal, the death of a sinner that you and I deserved. 
And, the, and that is the very reason for his blessing that he's receiving. But, but I really want to focus on the end here of the chapter because it highlights the ongoing representation that Jesus gives towards his people. Look at the very end of verse 12. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Now, Scripture teaches that the priest would make that offering, and then he would take the blood into the temple, that holy place, and there incense would be burned upon the altar, and God would be pleased, justice would be honored, and so too in the New Testament, we come to the book of Hebrews, and it tells us that Christ's service was not just in an earthly temple. His was in the heavenly temple. So here's the reality is that the sacrifice of Christ, what he has done for us to cover our sins, is constantly being placed before the Father. It's actually on his hands. Demonstrating that justice has been served for you and I. For Karen, for Victor, for Yukong been demonstrated for us. It's good to meditate on this neglected doctrine of Christ's intercession. Think about this with me. Your salvation is not complete. This is a pretty bold statement here by Francis Turretin, the 1600s. He says this, your salvation is not complete unless his finished work is perpetually, perpetually preserved and applied. That's profound. He actually admits us into the participation of life and continually keeps us once it is established. He goes on to say this, because we offend God every day, we need an advocate to intercede for us every day. Calvin will say virtually the same thing. He will say that um, without Christ's intercession for our sins, our sins would deter us from approaching God. We couldn't even pray. But you don't have to take these guys' word for it. They were simply seeking to teach the scriptures, scriptures like Hebrews 7.25. says this, Consequently, he, that is Christ, he is able to save to the uttermost or completely, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Christian, how will you make it home to that place of eternal joy and delight with your Savior? Through Christ's intercession for you. Oh, how good would it be for us on those rather mundane days, those painful days when things don't seem to be going right, for us to remember, even when we feel like we can't pray, Christ is interceding for us. And guess what, friends? It's His Word that matters far more than our words. I had a friend this week uh, write me, and, 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 and she was going through an incredible crisis in the U.S. And, and was so comforted that God's people were praying for her. And I thought, 
oh, how much better it is that Jesus himself is attentive and is bringing these concerns to his Father, and they will be heard, friends. They will be heard. Do you know who it is that is interceding for us, representing us? It's the beloved, eternally begotten Son of the Father. It's the one who lived a perfectly righteous life, who died for our sins, obedient even to death, who was raised, clearly demonstrating that he was beloved of the Father. And he would pour out his spirit upon his people. Christian, this is good news for weary travelers. Next time you experience joy and peace, and love as a result of being a Christian, think, this is because of the intercession of Christ. This is because Christ right now is attentive to me in this moment. He is exalted. He is worthy of being listened to by the Father. And he is sustaining me. And he is caring for me. Uh, Joel Beakey's father uh, told him when he was nine years old, do you have any nine-year-olds? Here, um, he told him that he would ask. He asked them that his, this question: "You know, what's the difference between a believer and an unbeliever?" That would be interesting. I would love to hear from you, children, what you think about that. Uh, what is the difference between a believer and an unbeliever? Think about it for a minute, youth. Think about it. What's the difference? Well, Joel didn't know. Uh, so his father said this. He said, a believer always has a place to go to a Savior who is always remembering him. Isn't that incredible? That is our life. Some of you really are eager to grow in your relationship with Christ. Well, what you need more than anything else is to remember that you have a representative in heaven right now on your behalf. And he cannot fail. He cannot fail. And think of this. His speech for you is lasting. He is eternal. He is like no one else. I mean, you couldn't have a better ally than the Lord Jesus Christ. He effectively secures your pardon. And nothing can tarnish that. He will not fail you, beloved. I'm reminded of Pastor Wong's exhortation to us a number of weeks ago that we desperately need to stop basing our how good we're doing in the Christian life on our own performance. We're just obsessed with our performance. I mean, we go to work. We're obsessed with our performance. Everybody else is obsessed with our performance. But as a Christian, our obsession, it's Christ's performance. It's not our performance. So Christian, maybe some of you are not growing because you're so focused on yourself. Turn your eyes to Christ, 
who is interceding for you now. And as you begin to meditate on his work for you, both in the past and both in the present, let it develop a kind of courage that gives you hope. That gives you hope on those depressing days that we ourselves could not have a higher status in this life. You have nothing to seek for, Christian, in this world. (laughs) We have Christ speaking for us and representing us. What more could you want? (laughs) We may be poor for the rest of our life. We may feel weak. We may feel very insignificant in what we accomplish for Christ. We may get cancer at an early age, God forbid. We may be persecuted for our faith. But remember this. You have an exalted prophet, priest, and king. Whoever lives and is ever exalted for you. For you. So let's put these two sermons together. Last week and this week. If Christ was humiliated and you have placed your faith in him, then you are united to him. Well, guess what? Your life will bear the image of that servant. It ought to. You will experience suffering. You will experience various levels of humiliation and pain as a result of following the Lord Jesus Christ. But remember this, you will not bear the worst humiliation in which Christ bore for you. You will not bear it. He bore hell for you. You will not. But also, if Christ was exalted and you have placed your faith in him and you have been united to him, then guess what? These decaying bodies of ours, they will rise. They will be exalted just like the Lord Jesus Christ. We too will be renewed. We too will ascend like Christ to live in that happy place, that place where we will be satisfied because we will be with our maker, the one in whom we were designed to commune with forever. Now, never get the order wrong, okay? It is suffering, it is humiliation, and then it is exaltation. We must first, Christian, bear the cross before the crown. We must bear it. But don't lose sight of what's coming. Don't lose sight of where Jesus is in a human body, exalted in the highest place with God, ever enjoying the pleasures of fellowship with God forevermore. That is where you and I are headed. I'll close with this promise for you from 2 Timothy 2, 11 and 12 and Romans 8, 17. It says this, For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we suffer with him, we will be glorified 
with him, church. Praise our exalted Savior. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we praise you for your glorious plan of redemption for sinners. Lord, we know that we have spent our whole lives trying to exalt ourselves, trying to secure all the resources we need to cover ourselves, to make ourselves look good, to make our families look good, to make our country look good. And yet we have forgotten that it is you alone who is exalted. Have mercy on us. We praise you for the Lord Jesus that he would come in such a lowly estate and become like us in every way to help us really see and understand your heart, O Father. We praise you for his obedience even unto death. And we praise you that he could not remain in the grave because he was indeed your righteous one. And he would be raised before the world to see. And now 2,000 years later, the implications are still reaping its effect. The fruit is still taking place as children of God are being birthed day after day from every tribe, tongue, and nation. As the Spirit was poured out, even as Jesus was ascended into heaven and seated at your right hand, he would pour out the Spirit upon your people that we might have everything we need for this journey. We praise you that the Lord Jesus Christ will come again. And in that moment, it will be evident to every single human being that ever has lived and will live that Jesus alone is exalted and every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Father, we recognize that we are of little faith. We confess that we're so consumed with our circumstances that we miss seeing that the Lord Jesus is interceding for us, that even now he is exalted and he is bringing us to that eternal fellowship. Lord, grow our faith. Turn our eyes toward the Lord Jesus. Lord, we've had five sermons on Christ, and what a pity it would be for us to walk away from these sermons and just be consumed with ourselves this week. Lord, let us together fix our eyes on Christ and glory in Him and grow in our confidence and our hope that we are indeed His that we too will be lifted up. We too will share in the glories of Christ's victory. We long for that day. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Isn't it?